Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Eco Justice Radio acknowledges that we record the show on the traditional territory of the Tongva and all of their relatives. Welcome, I am Jessica Aldridge. On today's show, Poaching the Sacred, the fight to preserve white sage. I will be interviewing Deborah Small, co-director and co-producer of the Saging the World documentary and campaign. Deborah Small is a gardener, artist, writer, and professor emerita at the School of Arts at Cal State University, San Marcos. She is the co-writer of the Ethnobotany Project with Rose Ramirez and Cooking with the Native Way with the Chia Cafe Collective. She is the co-director and co-producer of the documentary, Saging the World. Fueled by influencers, celebrities, and a wellness community, white sage has become a hot commodity, from body products to the infamous smudging sticks of bundled dry leaves. However, most people are unaware that most white sage is poached from the wild and sold on the black market. White sage, also known as salvia apiana, only grows naturally from Southern California to Baja, Mexico, where it is stolen from the wilds and sold all over the world in boutiques, big box stores, and online. But at what cost? Literally, tons of white sage is being poached to supply an international demand. At this high rate of destruction, white sage has been listed as an at-risk plant, and the health and longevity of the neighboring coastal sage scrub plant community is in question. And poachers, who are caught and fined, are often undocumented workers used and sent by hidden profiteers for a mere 30 to $50 a pound. White sage is deeply rooted in the cultures and lifeways of indigenous communities within its native range. Barbara Drake, a Tongva elder who passed away in 2020, called it a sacred grandmother plant, a relative. The rise of the wellness movement has commercialized sage smudging. The devastating ecological and cultural theft that it fuels stands in sharp contrast not only with traditional indigenous practices, but that non-indigenous people unknowingly use a stolen and desecrated plant to cleanse themselves. Our guest, Deborah Small, along with Rosa Ramirez and the California Native Plant Society, have made the award-winning documentary, Saging the World, to raise awareness and call for action around the protection of white sage. Thank you for tuning in to Eco Justice Radio and our show, Poaching the Sacred, the fight to preserve white sage. I am your host, Jessica Aldridge, and it is my honor to welcome our guest, Deborah Small, co-director and co-producer of the Saging the World documentary and campaign. Welcome to Eco Justice Radio. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful to have you. I think this is going to be an extremely interesting conversation, one that I don't think a lot of people know about that they haven't considered what goes on with white sage, that white sage is being poached. And there are a lot of resources out there for people to find out more information. And you and a collective few have put together this amazing 
documentary, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You're one of the directors and producers of this documentary, Saging the World. Let's start by describing White Sage. What is it? Where does it found? Okay, I'll get to that in a second. First, I just want to um, acknowledge my collaborators on the Saging the World project, and that would be Rose Ramirez and David Bryan as co-directors, and uh, Rose and California Native Plant Society as co-producers. We also, I also want to thank Neil Uno, who's our amazing photographer and cinematographer. He traveled with us to do all the interviews. And now Jen Aguilar is our liaison with the California Native Plant Society. But to get back to your question, you're asking to describe white sage. White sage is a beautiful plant. It's also known as salvia apiana in, in the Latin name for it. And apiana means bee. So this is a bee sage. And it's just, it loves those bee pollinators, especially the bumblebees and the and the carpenter bees. It's endemic to a very small area in, in California and northern Baja, from about San Luis Obispo into northern Baja, California. So it really only grows in the wild in a very small area of planet Earth. And, and that becomes a really important thing to, to recognize when, when, as we talk about what's happening with white sage on a global level. And I, I, that was a surprise to me, actually, to know that I knew sage was a native plant of Southern California, but I didn't know that, I mean, it can grow in some other places in Mediterranean climates, but it naturally does not grow in other places that this Southern California is the home to this plant. Overall, why were you moved to make this documentary, Saging the World? And we're going to get into the details over the next hour, but just big picture, what moved you? I've been very aware for many years of the importance for white sage to Native Americans in our region, Southern California region, and I've collaborated with Native people for many years. But I began to see um, a few years ago more and more posts or just ads and whatever about the sale of sage bundles and about sage smudging. And I first was really alerted to this, I think, by the San Diego chapter people from California Native Plant Society. They'd say, look at this, Walmart's selling white sage, white sage bundles or something like that. And uh, they would be shocked and I would be shocked and kind of horrified as well. And then um, it didn't really make sense to us. Why was Walmart and, white and Amazon and these other companies selling white sage? Why were people on Etsy selling white sage? And that was because, I guess, um, knowing that how important white sage is, how it's really a sacred plant for so many people in Southern California. It's considered a grandmother plant, a prayer plant. And here it is being, you know, turning into a commodity. So I started to do more digging. And that's really when when I was really moved and, and thought we just have to do something about this. The digging down that rabbit hole of, of the, the internet with just really looking and finding Alibaba, which is the Chinese version of Amazon and and just you know just realizing that this this plant has now become a global commodity it's and it's you know globally commercialized and it's it's selling everywhere and I think that's you know where Rose Ramirez my collaborator and I first we we wrote an article and we created a slideshow and then we first did our slideshow for the California Botanic Garden and David Bryant was the person there who was who we were working with. And so he he found out about our project and things, but he then moved to the California Native Plant Society in Sacramento in the main, the main, you know, umbrella 
of that organization. And he's the one who then set us up to work with the California Native Plant Society. So so that gave us, um, we're very wanting to do something more than just an article and slideshow. And that that gave us the opportunity to do that through David and and now the California Native Plant Society. And you were talking about um, when you and I had a discussion before today, this concept of desecration versus decimation. I, I was very moved by that. If you could just describe that a bit. Yeah, we dedicated the film to our friend and mentor and um, Tongva elder Barbara Drake. And she, we start out the film actually with her words where she's talking about, you know, the really the how how the white sage is being poached by just dragging it out of the, you know, from its roots and then throwing it in the back of pickup truck. And she said, the plant doesn't deserve that, really doesn't deserve that. And that is the desecration, she says. And that to me was absolutely haunting. And I'm really glad it's in the very beginning of the film because it is so haunting. I thought about this a lot. What is, I thought about what's the opposite of desecration? And I guess it would be something like consecration, you know, with the sacred as opposed to against the sacred. And decimation, I think we get the idea of something's destroyed, but that desecration to me, you know, offers that other layer of, of this something that's very spiritual as well. I mean, destruction's terrible too, but, but it, it, you know, it overlays its destruction plus its sacred. We're going to play the trailer for the documentary, Saging the World. We all recognize it when we see it. Cultural appropriation. I think various cultural traditions are taken. And I think that's the key word, taken. Taken, but there's nothing given back. I ask everybody to learn about the sage and how to use it before thinking that taking a match or a lighter to it is the way to go. Nadie puede usar nuestras ceremonias porque las nuestras ceremonias son únicas y auténticas y propias. Over the last seven or eight years, I would imagine that there's probably been in excess of 15, 20,000 pounds of white sage taken out of these foothills. It's not just Americans anymore. It's becoming increasingly harvested in large quantities for commerce. In other parts of the world, is it really worth doing something that has a bad effect on other people and other living things just so you can have a smudge stick? When you change the way you think and you see them as relatives, you wouldn't go pull your grandmother out by the roots. You would love her caringly every day. That's when that mind shift changes. Deb, what is this relationship between white sage and the cultural perspective of California indigenous communities? Well, I think the relationship is different depending on the tribes, but I think for many of the tribes here in Southern California, white sage is their most sacred plant. And it's important for all their um, rites of passage, for coming of age ceremonies, for funerals, for celebrations. It's also used medicinally. It's a very important medicinal plant. I've said it's a prayer plant. It's a ceremonial plant, a grandmother plant, and it's greatly revered. And what about the health of the ecosystem? White sage plays an important role in the health of the ecosystem as well. So if this, this plant is being decimated, if it's being poached, we have a problem with actually having white sage in, in, in our natural environment. What does that do to our ecosystem? Well, first of all, white sage supports a lot of vital species in the chaperone coastal sage scrub 
habitats in the plant communities. And it, um, white sage itself nourishes uh, native bees. I mentioned the bumblebees and the and the carpenter bee, but also the honeybees that are not its pollinator, but and, but many other insects and birds and other wildlife eat the sea. In the larger coastal sage scrub plant community in Chaparral, they all support so many plants and animals. And many of those plants and animals are listed on federal and state rare, threatened, and endangered species lists. So, you know, it becomes important this interaction between not just white sage and the ecosystem, but those whole plant communities. White sage is in many places such an important part of that ecosystem. I think we'll be talking about Etiwanda Preserve later, but but that that's in particular that that's a preserve that's got a huge, you know, white sage stand that's really important to historically and culturally for um, for native people. And that brings us to the next question, which is, you know, I think I know I am. I would assume other people may be surprised to learn that there's this black market for white sage. People are going into these preserves, they're going to public and private land, and they are just ripping white sage out, cutting it off or ripping it out of out by its roots. And that most white sage, the sage that we find in retail stores, the sage that's being on Alibaba, the the sage that's in Walmart or you know, in that you can order online, is poached. And according to the California Native Plant Society, permission is required to collect plants, whether that's on public or private land, but permission is not happening. The Bureau of Land Management indicates that you can only collect small amounts of plants and seeds as long as they are not intended for commercial use. But we see it commercially being sold in so many places. How and where is white sage being poached? Well, the place we know most about is the Etiwanda, the North Etiwanda Preserve in San Bernardino County. In the trailer, I think Ron Goodman mentions that um, he's the ranger there. And he mentions that in the last seven or eight years, there's been over 20,000 pounds, he estimates, that have been poached there. And when, when he, I, I kept thinking about that number. And I think, wait, that's that's 10 tons. 10 tons of white sage. That's so much sage. It's hard to imagine. But anyway, their biggest poaching months, according to Ron Goodman, are April, May, and June. And those, of course, are the months when when the sage is flowering, which means if it's poached and there's no seeds, no seeds for the wildlife, no seeds for little baby sages. Yeah, no more out. sage. So if you take the sage <laughs> away when it's seeding, there's no more sage. No baby. No more no babies. No more babies. So anyway... But- but we've also um, we also found out about the Santa Margarita Preserve where it was being poached. I had a friend who, who was watching the or reviewing the web the wildlife webcams. They were monitoring the mountain lions in the preserve, and uh, they actually caught on camera some people, you know, stealing the white sage from that preserve as well. That's not their purpose, but since he knew about this project, he sent over you know a couple of those photographs. They were great. They were time time stamped and everything. But we were really you know, uh, in a way, not surprised, but it was nice to have some evidence of what's going on. And of course, it's very illegal there. It's incredibly illegal in Etiwanda, um, as you have mentioned. But the fact that it's being poached on preserves where there's rangers, where there's webcams, I think it just it makes you wonder what's happening on the public lands, especially where there are no rangers, where there are no, you know, nothing to, you know, catch people in the air. And I think in our film, it's really important when um, Teresa Romero, who's um, the head of the environmental department at the Santa Ynez Band of Chumash Indians, 
Um, she runs a nursery there. And she talks about when she went into her own traditional gathering area, the gathering grounds, one day, and all the plants were decimated. They had been gathered and cut. And, and, and you know, that was shocking to her. That was a place they had gone for generations and generations. So that's why this nursery became so important to her, so they could grow native plants on the reservation there for other people in the tribe. And so everybody would have access to, to white sage. But that really pushed her and motivated her, just seeing her own traditional gathering area decimated. So those are some of the places that we know about where it's being poached. But um, but obviously, there's so many other places. Because oh, yeah. again, when you go down that rabbit hole and see, it's really easy to go down the rabbit hole, just put in a Google search for white sage bundles or well-crafted white sage, and you'll, you'll just be shocked away. <laughs> yeah, I want to get back to yeah. that that concept of, you know, retail and, and why, you know, where we're seeing this sold and why it's such a huge black market. But before we go to the break, I want to talk about, go back to the statement that you said in regards to these traditional areas where in, Indigenous groups are growing this. And, and in the movie, you know, the comment was made that certain people have white sage plants that they've adopted since childhood, that they have nurtured since childhood, that this is, this is their plant and, or not their per se, but this is the one that they're taking care of. And then they go back a month later and it's gone. I mean, that's intense. I didn't know if you had anything else to say about that. I know that they covered that in the movie. Yeah, I think it is intense. And just to see something that you've been nurturing for so long and just seeing it wiped out overnight. But that is what's happening. And, you know, we there, there's other areas we know about where, you know, people have told us about, sometimes they don't want to be identified, but they've told us how, you know, trucks have driven up into their home. This is usually in the backcountry and, and um, you know, started with some trash cans and started like just pulling the sage out as quickly as possible and of course from a native perspective that's that's nothing like how you would gather a plant which would be respectful you'd all make an offering and say maybe a little blessing but you know this is just you know sort of get in there and get out yeah it's like duffel bags they go in and they fill these duffel bags that they can carry on their back and Mm -hmm. you know the poaching pictures are amazing but in a bad way how intense the amount of sage that is being transported out of these areas. Well, we're going to go right to the break. I'm going to bring it back. We're going to talk about why it's being poached at such an alarming rate and where we're seeing it sold to the general public. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, And also like, can the wild harvesting of sage actually be sustainable We'll also talk about if if it's even possible to have a sustainable way to harvest wild sage. So stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sundays at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org. You can check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Poaching the Sacred, the fight to preserve white sage. 
with host Jessica Aldridge and guest Deborah Small, co-director and co-producer of the Staging the World documentary and campaign. So Deborah, we've been talking about the sacredness of White Sage and what's happening with this black market and the poaching of white sage. And again, I think this is happening at an alarming rate. And I think that comes as a surprise to a lot of people. I think a lot of people out there might say, I like white sage. I burn white sage. I have white sage in my house. I have a bundle in my house. I light it. I, you know, it helps me feel relaxed. And I think that's probably a more popular conversation than maybe the people who say I use it for the medicinal benefits for salve or for putting it in my water or whatnot. And, but still there are so many products out there, be it the bundle or whatever it might be, where maybe it's sage oil that are in retail stores. And so we're seeing this sage, this white sage being poached at an alarming rate. Where are we seeing white sage being sold and used in the general public and why? Well, where are we seeing white sage? It's being sold everywhere. And people tell us, we talked to a journalist from South Africa and he said, oh yeah, it's everywhere. It's in all the stores there. And you know, it it is, it's really a, a product. It's now a product on the global market and it's become, yeah, there's been a global commodification of white sage, which is shocking, I think. And yeah, we mentioned the Amazon, Alibaba, Walmart, Etsy, and then there's a million little places in between. And when I say a million, I guess I probably mean thousands, but they're really literally thousands of places selling it. One company that we investigated to some degree is called Juniper Ridge, and its its offices are in um, Oakland. They had a store locator on their site. They uh, since have taken the store locator that shows the worldwide numbers of stores. They've taken that down, but um, it showed their stores were everywhere. They were in Helsinki and in Taiwan and in Berlin and in New York City and Los Angeles. And, you know, you just go all around the globe and they had a store there and they were selling sage bundles, incense, you know, as you mentioned, all these different products, lotions, potions, cologne. And um, they were really successful because they they just had a beautiful site. They, they were, you know, designers would talk about what a great job they did with all their branding and things like that. And their products, you know, they smelled really good and they were all and part of their advertising that it's all from the wilds from the west coast of California. They wanted to bring nature home. So they were doing a lot of, you know, they called it foraging, but I would call it poaching of all these plants for their products. Deborah, you mentioned wild harvest. So what's the difference between white sage that has been wild harvested versus white sage that has been cultivated? Well, it's a huge difference, a huge difference. And that's really important because the the only sage we think people should be using at this point because of the global commercialization of sage is sage that has been cultivated, hopefully organically, maybe on regenerative farms. It'd be really great if you live in California in your own backyard or in your community gardens, native plant nurseries all over the state, cultivate it. There's a site called calscape.org and you can put in your zip code and you can find the plants there. If you want to cultivate them, you can purchase them. Um, it's a really easy site to use. I don't know. Yeah, you just enter, yeah, put in white sage and then put in your zip code. But wild harvested sage is just totally unsustainable. In the beginning, I talked about that, you know, the, the area where white sage grows is very small from San Luis Obispo down through a little bit in Baja, California. So 
but it, we're supplying that little area supplying so many people because there really aren't that many commercial farms at this point that we know about. There, there are a few. So it, it's just totally unsustainable to be gathering from the wild. So we recommend, we don't recommend that anybody does any kind of foraging or harvesting in the wild. Meaning just going out and you're going and taking a walk and you're up in the, the mountains of Southern California and say, I need some sage. And there's a plant there and you're like, I'll just take, there's a lot. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of leaves here. So I'm going to take a whole branch or I'm going to take a, a pretty significant amount or I'm, or a small amount that is wild harvesting. And then there's the bigger of people just going in and taking the whole entire plant and uprooting it and throwing it into massive amounts into duffel bags. But that is wild harvesting, correct? Yes, that would be wild harvesting. Yeah. And I, I think, of course, the occasional, you know, leaf that you might pick and stuff, that has, that's so insignificant. It's, it's you know, better not to, but so so insignificant compared to these people that are going in and really just devastating the fields. And I was going to say the other thing that we have to deal with now, too, is besides having this global market and, and the poaching issues, of course, there's, and we'll probably talk about this later, development issues, issues yeah. with rampant development throughout California. We're seeing it here everywhere in California, more development. Many times, even in my own area, they just take everything out. I mean, it, it, they take it to bare ground. They don't spare a thing. And, and of course, sage scrub plant communities and chaparral communities are, are getting wiped out as well. And then, of course, there's climate change, which is also impacting the plants. Well, I want to play another excerpt from the documentary, Saging the World. And this is a clip where this is a clip where Nick Rocha and Ron Goodman are both speaking. And it's in regards to the poaching and the significance of this poaching. Is there anything that you would like to tell us a little about about these two gentlemen before we play the clip? Sure. Nick Rocha is a real, very important person in our, in our um, well, they're, everyone's important in her documentary, but he's the chair chairman of the Gabrielino Shoshone Tribal Council. And his mother is Vera Rocha, and she and her husband, Manuel, um, um, Nick Rocha's father, uh, co-founded the Spirit of the Sage Council back in 1991 to help protect and preserve white sage and coastal sage scrub plant communities. Um, from development in the Rancho Cucamonga area, which is the area around where Etiwanda Preserve is. This uh, Spirit of the Sage Council fought for and ultimately inspired the establishment of the Etiwanda Preserve in 1998. So they, they're hugely important. Vera Roach is actually the cousin of Barbara Drake. So there's a lot of interaction there and, and um, connection. And there's a beautiful mural, I'll just add this, of Vera Rocha surrounded by white sage in San Pedro, California. And it was painted in 1995 by two artists, Roberto Salas and Joanna Poetic. But the photographs, really, it's like it gives you a sort of horrifying sense of the effect of what's going on. Well, let's play that clip with Nick Rocha and Ron Goodman from the documentary Saging the World. My mother used to come out here all the time. She, she would, this is one of her places where we get refocused. I'm here to protect my mom's legacy, our people's legacy, our ancestral rights. She foretold the sage was gonna go extinct. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, when sage was what you would call happy sage. You find sage was on stocks 
five to six feet high. And now you're lucky if you find one maybe two feet. The plants are constantly learning to adapt, but their, their life cycles being hindered by those that want to poach it and sell it on the black market. I have confiscated the sage from the poachers and filled up my pickup truck. The poachers would utilize duffel sacks because they were able to put more of the confiscated sage in it and hike it out on their back just like a backpack. See how dwarfed they are? It lays down rather than getting really tall because you can see some of that. It's a little taller and it had a lot of seed bloom last year. But all of this, it shouldn't be this compact. It should be, you know, much taller. Over the last seven or eight years, I would imagine that there's probably been in excess of 15, 20,000 pounds of white sage taken out of these foothills. So Deb, before we played an excerpt from the documentary, we were talking about the difference between wild harvesting uh, versus cultivation. Now, I would say that maybe some retail stores, if you ask them where their sage is from, and if they know where their sage is from, sometimes the answers are, well, it's wild harvested, but it's ethically wild harvested white sage. Can any wild white sage be ethically sourced? Well, I'm not going to talk about just, again, that individual person who, you know, takes a couple white sage, you know, leaves for their own personal use. But I think we can talk about the big companies that are selling it. Walmart sells white sage online. And one of the labels on one of their products says wild crafted in the USA. And that means it's it's uh, wild harvested. Well, while I, I looked that up because I thought, how many stores does Walmart have? How many countries is Walmart in? you know, how, how, you know, what's their spread? I wasn't really quite sure. And it turns out they have retail and e-commerce operations in 24 countries. So again, it's like mind boggling to me again, to think of that little strip along the West coast of California, Baja, California, just one, one retailer, Walmart with 24 countries where this is available. Um, that's, that's astounding. And given how limited the range is for sage, there's another company called Star West Botanicals who also sell white sage. And they, they actually advertise it as that they sell white sage leaf whole wildcrafted. And they talk about the country of origin being the United States. So that means California, obviously, it's the wild sage. And they say it's gathered responsibly. It's ecologically sound. It's respectful. And they also say the plant was not harmed. Nothing is wasted. I'm thinking, well, they don't talk anything about how anything is given back to this plant or anything about the community in which it grows or anything about what it means to be just taking it. You know, it's just taking. There's no responsibility or reciprocal relationship to the plant, none of that. I actually put in in a little, um, you know, I, I decided I wondered how many pounds I could buy from Starwest Botanicals. So I, I actually tried to purchase 100 pounds and I couldn't purchase that much. So I tried 99 pounds. Sometimes they have a cutoff point. So I could put, I could actually purchase 100 pounds of white sage from Starwest Botanicals and it would cost me $4,666. But the fact that they have that much sage in stock for me to purchase, no matter how much it costs, is crazy. 
And then they're saying that no harm is done to the plant. And it's probably taken out of a, a sage scrub community and sage scrub com plant communities are considered habitats of critical concern. So certainly it's hurt, hurting that habitat. So, so the, you know, these companies are, how can they say that that's ethical harvesting when you can go in and purchase a hundred pounds of something, you know, you're not purchasing yeah. a bundle, a couple bundles. Yeah. So I think that the extraordinary amount of sage that you can go in and yeah. purchase, it's worth it. Alibaba. You can, they even have one to 10 bundles, 10, you know, and then 10 to a hundred. And then they actually have over 2000 when I, and I actually put in, um, <laughs> I first put in 3,000 bundles to see if I could purchase that. Yeah, I could get that. It was a huge amount of money, of course. Not a huge amount. Of, but then I put in 10,000 bundles. I could actually buy 10,000 bundles from this site on Alibaba. And the country of origin was California, and yeah. it was wild crap. Yeah, so it's so crazy. it sounds like it's, you know, this concept of greenwashing and greenwash branding that really ethical wild harvesting is not really a thing. If wild harvesting is not appropriate in any form, are there cultivated alternative sources that people can buy from that respect the land, that are certified organic, and that also respect indigenous culture? Is mindful cultivation a viable solution? Well, I think people would differ in how they would respond to that. But I think um, when Rose and I were doing, the, were doing the film, we found a farm called Sage Winds Farm. And we went to visit Ellen and um, Ken. So we thought that would maybe be a good place to tell people about. They've got a website where you can order some sage bundles and things like that. And we featured them in the film as, as an alternative to, you know, buying any kind of wildcrafted. Another company that is very mindful about what they're doing is Mountain Roserts, which is another big herbal uh, company in, um, I think they're in Eugene, Oregon. And anyway, they they first were selling wildcrafted sage, gathering it from the wild. But then they turned to um, having a choice for for their customers and offered both wildcrafted, wild harvested, and also then um, cultivated. But the problem was the cultivated had to cost more because you know people were farming and you know irrigation, all that kinds of stuff. And then now that they've totally transitioned, now they only sell. Um, cultivated white sage. And they actually made a big deal about it. And I think it was great that they made a big deal about it. They sent their customers, you know, they have e our emails and they let us know that that's what they were doing and why they were doing it because of these pressures on, on the white sage fields. And they said that they really realized they, this is the way they had to go and to really focus more on cultivating all their botanical. So I think that's good. They're a great example for what a company can do. It took a while, but it but, but they happen. did it and they listened. Yeah. I personally buy some of my tea from Mountain Rose Herbs as well. And mm -hmm. they are very informative and very aware of their footprints. And um, they make that information available to their customers when they order from them. And I know that from personal experience. And the other uh, mm -hmm. farm that you had mentioned or the sage farm you had mentioned is Sage Winds Farms. Just to repeat that for our listeners that might be interested, but also if you watch the movie, you will be able to, um, you will see them in the movie as well. We're going to go to break real quick, but we're going to bring the conversation back. We're going to talk about the occult, the cultural appropriation of indigenous culture and how that relates to white sage and solutions uh, to consider in regards to white sage so that this is no longer a 
a critical habitat that that might not be with us much longer if we don't take action. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Hey listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sundays at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org. You can check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Poaching the Sacred, the fight to preserve white sage, with host Jessica Aldridge and guest Deborah Small, co-director and co-producer of the Saging the World documentary and campaign. Deborah, we've been discussing the documentary, Saging the World, the poaching of white sage, what white sage means uh, culturally, and, you know, why for people who are listening that, you know, that may be buying white sage or burning white sage for their own ceremonial practices, what would you like people to know about why selling white sage is a form of cultural appropriation of indigenous culture and where you're seeing this play out in media and social media and in our daily lives? Well, cultural cultural appropriation of indigenous culture is is really as I, I think that it's very widespread, and I think just well to, to begin with, just the selling of, of you know these hundreds of bundles and the selling of thousands of sage bundles for profit that's cultural appropriation. It's it's taking a plant that's very sacred, limited range, and 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 um, just treating it as a commodity. That in itself is a kind of cultural appropriation. Um, selling sage that has been stolen, that would be, and, and so much of it is, and not knowing the source and not caring about what the source is, that would be cultural appropriation. White sage is often sold in kits with abalone shells. Abalone is also critically endangered. And it's you know sometimes sold with feathers. And there's a lot of sort of pseudo ceremonies that you'll see in little videos on Instagram accounts or or um, on YouTube where people are doing cleansing rituals and things like that. And I think people are thinking, well, that's, it's really cool for Native Americans to do that. I want to try that and get my good vibe on or whatever they think there is happening. And, you know, celebrities, influencers, TV shows are showing people performing cleansing rituals. That's cultural appropriation, you know, trying to make what you're doing with White Sage a ritual and mimicking you know what they think is native culture Kim, kimberly morales johnson is in our film she calls it pimping out the blessing and that's that's certainly what it feels like i think that's a great description her daughter samantha morales johnson actually made a poster and it says sage is your friend not your smudge stick so i think this starts to look kind of why is everybody going after these smudge sticks when there's so many other things people could do I, I want to say we haven't talked about the magazine. There, we have the film Saging the World, but we also have a magazine called Flora. The CNPS, um, they did a white sage issue. The, the whole issue is dedicated to white sage, and it's available for um, free, for free download, or you can read it online on their website, the CNPS website. And, and it's just a wonderful magazine. It's got all Native writers talking about issues around white sage goes into a lot of depth. And there's one writer, Jolie Proudfit, and she wrote about cultural appropriation. 
and she's the head of California Indian Center for Sovereignty and Culture Center at Cal State San Marcos, where I worked. And that's her specialty is cultural appropriation. She knows everything about it. And that article she wrote, it's only one page, but it is riveting. It's funny. It's horrifying all in one. So I want to recommend that everyone that wants is interested in cultural appropriation, take a look at that, that download that magazine or just read that article. It's just wonderful. She and talks I will say about you how said CMPS, which is the California Native Plant Society for just people listening that might not remember. Right. Okay. Yeah, thank you. And but Jolie talks about how this media fuel cultural appropriation actually contributes. If you think about it, all this cultural appropriation, you know, but bun, um, sage bundle burning and all this stuff, it really contributes to the devastation of the white sage plants and the plant communities when the demand is so high. So we have to somehow interrupt. That's you know that's what's what's happening because when you think about how your burning of a sage smudge stick could be actually a small part of causing this decimation and encouraging the the poaching then I think it gives you pause well Rico and Rose Ramirez I saw them at a screening the other night and these were some of the things that they had said when you advertise when an influencer on social media advertises their foraging you know shows footage of their foraging or of their burning that becomes poaching and it encourages hundreds of thousands of people to do the same exact thing. So even though they may be poaching a small amount, they're advertising that poaching. And then they're telling other people that it's all right to go and do the same exact thing, hundreds and thousands of people to go and do the same thing. And when the plant is stolen, these are all Rico and Rose Ramirez's words, when the plant is stolen and poached, it is no longer a sacred plant. So if people are using the plant for sacred purposes, if they're using it for meditation, if they're using it for ceremony in some way, and they're using a poached plant, that is no longer a sacred plant. And they said retail smudge sticks are a stolen gift. And then we go and we clean ourselves, say, cleanse ourselves with, with a sage stick, smudge ourselves, and we're cleansing ourselves with something that is stolen. And then the last thing that he had said that really got me is when we when we're imitating another culture, we're praying to the wrong ancestor. If it's not your ancestor and you're imitating another culture, you're playing, praying to the wrong ancestor. That just shows, yeah, influencers are called that for a reason, right? They have so much influence on people, so many followers. So, yeah, so you're just spreading the problem, you know, instead of interrupting it. And, and the, maybe this is a call to the influencers. Interrupt the problem be the solution. And so that's why I want to talk about, we just talked, we spoke about acquiring white sage from cultivated sources and not those that are wild harvested as a solution. Let's talk about some other solutions that will help protect white sage. And you had mentioned this before, what about growing it at home and building this relationship with the plant? Can white sage be grown elsewhere? Does it need to just be grown in California? Well, I think we have the ideal climate for it. And you mentioned earlier about other Mediterranean climates. Yeah, it would probably grow great in, you know, the other Mediterranean climate areas around the world. But people in Oregon are growing it. And um, the people I know who are growing it, they're really good gardeners. So um, that might have something to do with it. But Richo Czech has a nursery. He's an herbalist of strictly medicinal seeds in Williams, Oregon. And I was going to say he does sell seeds, but he also sells plants. But he's, you know, he's, he's a, you know, grows it. But I don't know if he brings his 
plants in in the winter or not. I'm not I'm not sure about that. But anyway, and Oshala Farms is also in Oregon and they grow it, but they seem to have a short season when it's actually available. But I think that it really likes our sunshine and it likes heat. It likes full sun, needs a little bit of water. It's easy to grow. So I'm not sure how it would grow in other climates. But you know, we really encourage people to grow the plants native to their area. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's really really important. And um, again, for people in California, you know, again, I want to say I love calscape.org. It just is such an easy encyclopedia to use for all the native, you know, just and so specific to your own zip code. It's wonderful. But anyway, um, but it will grow in other places. But I think, you know, probably Oregon is maybe the northernmost part. But but certainly uh, people are now growing it. I've seen some organic farms come up in Australia. I think, and they are talking about some of the same issues and, you know, why they're growing it and they're growing it organically. I and mean, you, you see really nice things like that too around the world where, you know, some people are acknowledging what's happening with white sage and, and the, the idea of also shipping it over across the ocean to Australia when they have a perfectly good climate to grow it there. So yeah. um, some people are addressing the problem in different ways. What are some other solutions to consider? I know in our film, the botanist and conservationist Naomi Fraga she recommends that if you ever see anyone poaching, that you should report it. You should be attentive to that. And I think our film participants also recommend that it's so important to know your source, to be really clear before you buy anything. If you are going to buy something, that you should ask the realtor, real uh, the retailers where they purchase the sage from, and and to really actually boycott any stores that are selling wild, wildcrafted bundles, anything from not from non-cultivated sources. Um, and I just want to say that just to make you know, just not to you know, not make everyone depressed. You can purchase plants at native plant nurseries. They're all all over you know California. And uh, again, but another, I just want to say another option, and I think a lot of our folks would talk about this too. You can also not purchase it. You know, you can think about. Maybe I'm going to, you know, not purchase this plant at this point. And maybe I'm going to think about other things I might want to use and really think about how human consumption shouldn't trump ecological stewardship. Those are actually Jolie Proudfoot's words. But when you think about it, why, why are we that important that, that we are, that's more important for us to consume a sage bundle than it is to, you know, really steward our sage, our sage plant communities, our planet. And they were mentioning the other night when I saw the show as well, is that if if you're going to use this plant for, you know, healing or meditation, then then identify what is the plant in your area, identify where it's coming from, identify what's native, make sure that it's not being poached and stick to what is native for your area. And one of the other thing too, they had said is go from smudging to seeding you know, don't no longer smudge, seed, focus on reforestation, growing native to the region, seed work, right. putting the seeds out. Right. right. And that's something Nick Roach really talks about in the film as well, you know, that he gives out seeds now, you know, that that would be his present to people as seeds. How is mm-hmm. white sage being protected? Is it being protected? Oh, yeah, that's, um, no, I don't think it has any more protections than any other plant would have. You know, you're not supposed to gather from public areas, there's laws against that, but there's no, not, you know, Ron Goodman even in a preserve talks about how they're incredibly understaffed. There's just not people to monitor that. So in other public places that are not preserves, of course, there's not enough people to be monitoring that. So, but anyway, I don't know of any specific protections for white sage at this point. 
I know that you had mentioned to me previous to this call that, you know, there's this potential call to action that people can take part in to, to, you know, potentially put this like they're trying to do with the Joshua tree, put it on a native plant protection list. And you have the story about assembly member James Ramos and him comparing white sage to elephant tusk poaching. I mean, what are these potential asks that might be on the table? Well, in yeah, that's interesting. In, in 2019, five of us actually wrote a letter to um, Assembly Member James Ramos. We asked him for his help as part of the California legislature. We asked him for his help in figuring out how we could best protect and preserve white sage. We had a, a meeting with his office, but we nothing was ever you know established. And then COVID hit, and you know lots of we had a lot of other crises in our state. But anyway, in April of 2022. Annabelle Munoz from ABC7 Eyewitness News interviewed James Ramos. It was a piece about what's happening with white sage, and she interviewed him. And that's where he compared the poaching of white sage to the poaching of the ivory tusks from elephants. And, and I thought, wow, what a strong analogy he's making, you know, because everyone, I think, that I know anyway, hates this poaching of ivory tusks that kills the elephants and international laws now about the importing and exporting of ivory tusks, you know, at least in the United States. So, you know, clearly he he acknowledges the significance of this rampant poaching and decimation of the white sage fields. So we're continuing to work with California Native Plant Society Conservation Lead. His name's Mick Jensen. And we're still working to see if there's ways that we can better protect this precious and sacred plant. And so we do hope to work with James Ramos. We haven't given up. Is there a risk if legislation is put in place? Is there a risk that that can limit native rights to white sage? And what considerations could be in place to make sure that that's not the case? Well, I think that that's really important. And I think that's the reason some of some of the difficulty actually in, in creating legislation, because I think people are very worried about having any kind of restriction for native people to gather the sage and so, yeah, I think that's that makes this much more complex than, say, the protection of another kind of plant. It doesn't have such cultural weight attached to it. And it sounds like that if this were to happen, that the local indigenous communities would have to be part of the drafting of this language to make sure that their rights are upheld. And within this process, the concerns addressed in today's conversation regarding white sage may be very new to a lot of our listeners. I'm assuming that it is actually. How does one share this knowledge with others and how might we kindly educate retailers that we frequent that there's a problem with white sage and poaching? Well, that would, I think that would be the first thing to start a conversation about, you know, to ask them if they know about what's happening with white sage and to, you know, try and catch them up a little bit with what's happening with the poaching and, um, and, and ask them where, where is it that they're sourcing their sage and do they know where it's from and they, do they know how it's harvested and where is it cultivated? And I think that that can, that can be a, you know, a conversation that doesn't start out as an accusation, but a question and, um, you know, curiosity. And then I think that it is important, I think, to share with them what's going on. And, you know, the, the, this globalization of the white sage as a commodity, I think that's important to let them know. And I think we have, an, we have a California Native Plant Society website that's dedicated to 
this whole project. And there's a lot of resources on that page too. And it's pretty easy to get to. I don't want to give the um, the website the whole name, but if you just put in, just enter um, CNPS, three words, CNPS is one word, CNPS, white sage. It'll just, you know, it'll, it'll. In a Google search, yeah. It'll it'll take you there in a Google search. And I think there's a flyer, CNPS has, when I went to the screening, that they've made available that can be printed out if people want to, that people could hand to a retailer. Maybe it's the article from the LA Times, but there's information on the site. There's the article that people can just give to a retailer to say, here's some information. You were mentioning resources. What are resources that you would recommend to people who want more information about protecting white sage? You had mentioned the uh, Flora magazine, the website. Yeah, definitely. Those two would be the main ones, I think, because there's plenty of information on the California Native Plant Society website. There's there's the they actually have the two ABC seven eyewitness news reports. They have lots of different reviews of the and um, just, you know, journalist articles about white sage from various people. And, you know, there just are a lot of resources, you know, um, so I'd say those are probably the two best places. And like I said, the Flora magazine, it's the spring 2022 issue, which is the white sage issue that you can download that for free. I mean, the Google oh, searches. Google. Yeah, it's so easy. Yeah. I, I was looking for the uh, the LA Times article before this uh, call and before this interview, and there's so much information. I just put it into the Google search and they're just white sage poaching and you will get tons of information. Yeah, you will. And and I think it's interesting some, to go to some of these retailers and just, you know, just check out the language that they use. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, and, and many yeah. of them may not know, probably most of them don't know that this is an issue. And many of these stores are probably selling this with heart, you know, feeling that they're doing the right thing and may be aghast to find out that it does have such, you know, that there's the potential of this negative connotation that the sacred's been been removed, you know, in opposition of what they're they're actually marketing for their store, right? And the movie screening is all over the world now, right? Where where is it being screened? Where is the documentary Saging the World being screened and how can people watch it? Well, there's two ways it's being screened. We're, we're screening it ourselves and then also we've entered it in film festivals, but we've been screening it in um we had two outdoor screenings. That's one of my favorites, I think. I just love seeing the film outdoors at night. And we do have done it at colleges, universities, libraries, nurseries, Indian reservations, natural history museums, art venues, farms, Audubon Society, and CNPS chapters, among other places. So we've been doing a lot of work to screen it. And then also, um, and I want to say upcoming screenings are listed on the CNPS White Sage website. Then we've just entered lots of film festivals. Some of them are international, including in Mexico, Canada, France, and Czech Republic. That's and amazing. We've other, yeah, so we've been really trying, you know, working hard to get the film out as much as we can and sharing it with as many people. So what social, before we wrap here, and I want to tell people that are listening, as always, we're going to have an extended version of this conversation that you can find by going to our website, and we'll tell you how you can get that extended version of the conversation. But last question for on the air here today, where can people 
follow your efforts, Deb? Where can they follow the efforts of the film? How can they find people on or this documentary on social media? Well, again, the best way to find it is on the CMPS website because we do put, you know, whatever screenings are going on or just, yeah, whatever we're doing, we'll go there. So that's that's our sort of central housing of, of all information. And at CMPS, uh, California Native Plant Society, also has their own social media account because I know a lot of people, that's how they engage So and keep uh, abreast of information. So definitely check out their uh, social media account as well. And in our blog post for this show, as always, we will include many links to uh, resources uh, for the film and for everything that's been shared here today. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us and talking about the film, Saging the World. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you to our guest, Deborah Small, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Poaching the Sacred, the fight to preserve white sage. For an extended version of this interview, remember, become a member of our Patreon or visit ecojusticeradio.org. Please connect with us on social media. You can find us at Eco Justice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures and Waste. If you like what you heard and you want others to be informed, you know what to do. Subscribe and share the episodes and help us continue our efforts by joining our Patreon or making a tax-deductible donation to the show. The show can be found on KPFK, KPFD, all major podcast apps, and at ecojusticeradio.org. Executive producer Jack I, producer and co-host Jessica Aldridge, co-host Carrie Kim, and engineer and original music by Blake Quake Beats. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.